This is episode number 135 of the Rising Man podcast with Mark Rose. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Welcome back, Rising Man fam, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're choosing to spend your time with me here on this show, and I appreciate that. My name is Jetty Azuma, and I'm the host and creator of the Rising Man podcast and the founder of the Rising Man movement, which is a movement whose mission is to initiate an entire generation of men into purpose and powerful leadership. That's what we are about. If you don't know what initiating men is, if you don't know what it means to be in a men's circle, to have a men's team, to open yourself vulnerably to be supported by men, then what the heck are you waiting for? Go to risingman.org. Find out how you can become a bigger part of our Rising Man family. Whether you join us in our virtual men's fire circles or you step on a team with me for the next 12 weeks inside of Inferno, or you decide to come out and join us for a four-day vision fast for our initiation called Compass, whatever it may be for you, choose that next step to get involved to become a bigger part of this movement because that's what we're up to. A whole generation of men. That includes you. So let's go. Okay, my guest for today is a man whose name you might recognize. Mark Rose is the head fire chief here in the Rising Man Fire Circles. He's a lifelong builder, creator, and self-proclaimed renaissance man. Mark's journey into manhood began when he got married at the age of 21, only to realize five years later that his life adventures were incomplete. Since then, he spent the last three years traveling the world, studying the modern arts and technologies in order to serve creators and impact makers on our planet to the best of his ability. In this episode, we discuss resilience and the importance of getting back up over and over and over again. Mark shared his story of getting married at 21 before he knew who he was and how the end of his marriage led to a second round at adventure and personal discovery. We talked about discovering men's work and what the work actually is. We talked about leadership and how Mark went from the new guy in men's circles to the head fire chief in our rising men fire circles. And last but not least, that it's never too late to start over and find your true purpose. Without further ado, Mark Rose. All right, rising man family. I'm sitting across just three feet away from one of my dearest brothers in the world. A name that you should all be familiar with if you've been listening to the podcast. None other than our Fire Circle Fire Chief, Mr. Mark Rose. How you doing, bro? Doing pretty good, man. It's really yeah. exciting to be here. Yeah, man. You've been the long-term resident here at Rising Man HQ. <laughs> <laughs> Helped put it together, in fact. Yeah, getting comfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. It's been good to have you here. It's been good to be in closer physical proximity with you. I know I've told you this off the mic, but I'll say it on the mic too, you know, just being in closer relationship with you. I've known you for the past two and a half years, but this is the most time we've actually spent together. So it's been pretty cool, man. I've learned a lot about you and I'm excited to share more of your story and more about how you came to be the incredible man you are with the Rising Man audience who hears your name at least twice a week. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Let's get it. Let's do it. So I know you have no idea what's coming. So let me hit you with these questions mm -hmm. that you're absolutely not Never anticipating. What is the difference between a boy and a man? Thought about this one a lot. I resonate a lot with a lot of the previous guests where they say your responsibility towards your own life is extremely important. If I could think of anything else other than that, I would just say it's a deep resiliency to keep going forward and create solutions. 
Cool. I like the resiliency piece. Mm. So when did you learn to be a resilient human? And how did you learn to be resilient? <laughs> In the last three months, <laughs> probably. <laughs> I don't know. I've always been someone who would dive deeply into, I can't do it, I can't do it. And then I'd crawl my way back out and then I'd always continue. And I think just putting in that many reps and curving that U until it gets a little shorter, Mm -hmm. then I finally think resiliency just kind of clicked as like, oh, get back up faster. Mm. Yeah. So let's talk a little more about resilience, because that's not actually something that most of the guests have brought in here when we talk about being a man. You know, Mm -hmm. what role does resilience have in living a full life as a man, as a human? I think resilience is really important because whether you have on the armor or you're completely vulnerable, you're still going to get hit sometimes. And no matter what, you have to just get back up. You have to keep going. You have to find that way to provide, to be of service, to protect and do something good for this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it made me think I was just writing a post the other day. I don't know if it came out yet or not, or if it's like one of those future ones. But mm-hmm. I was talking about resilience, essentially, but saying how life is going to punch you in the throat. Like, it's, it's not it's not a matter of if it's going to do it. It's when mm-hmm. it's those curveballs are coming. So you got to learn how to stand in the batter's box and dig in and swing. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we strike out, we swing and miss, but the game's still going as long as you get back in the box, as long as you get back up, like you said. So one more question on that, and then we'll keep moving. Why do you think that that's something, well, do you think that that's something that a lot of people are still missing? Is a strong enough resilience to engage with this world fully? I think if you come from a life where it's super comfortable, Mm. then you've never experienced that kind of repetition that allows you to build resiliency those big hits that don't have a safety net. And there's also people out there who probably have experienced so much that it just seems so hard to get out of it. And they get kind of trapped in that ability to just always get hit. Yeah, I'd agree with that too, man. I mean, there's a lot. We talk about helicopter parenting. We talk about just, I think it's important, especially speaking as a parent, it's important to keep our children safe. But to what end? To what end can we keep children too safe so that they're, so risk averse. In fact, I don't think we've shared it here on the podcast, but I had a teacher who was working with my son who said that they really let the kids take risks. And they found a study that if you don't let children take risks at an early enough age, then they don't know how to assess risk properly in the world. And they looked at kids who are allowed to jump off swing sets and fall. And then they looked at kids who they couldn't go anywhere without one of their parents following them. And the kids who were allowed to jump and fall and scratch their knees and take risks when they were much smaller people were much more successful later on in life. I don't know how they quantified it. I don't know how they measured it. But and it makes a lot of sense to me. You know, that's what's supposed to happen is Mm -hmm. at a young age, we're supposed to take risks. We're supposed to learn. This is what happens when you fall. This is how you pick yourself back up. And I'll even speak for myself. I feel like I was somewhere in the middle of that when I was growing up, that my parents let me have some of my failures, but they also gave me a lot that made it hard for me to go out and grab the world by the balls. Mm -hmm. And I also know that there's a lot of kids that had it even worse than I did, where they weren't allowed to sleep over anyone's house because their parents always wanted them home. So where were you on that spectrum of being allowed to take risk, being kind of thrown out into the wilderness by your parents? I definitely think in my more high school years, they allowed me to start 
experiencing more. But at the beginning, I definitely, when I look into a lot of the theories around being a nice guy or, mm-hmm. you know, that mindset, a lot of it starts because there wasn't a lot of maybe helicopter parenting going on, you know, mm-hmm. or just saying, don't do that, or that's not safe. And mm-hmm. a lot of those things, it's like, well, a lot of things aren't safe. But like you said, if you don't give a person the chance to take a risk, then when it's time to make those kind of moves in your life, then that's your struggle, mm-hmm. not the other things. Yeah, man, it's taught me a lot because you know, my son, you've been around Sitka for a while now and he's a wild man Mm. and he's so curious and adventurous and he wants to know. And he's, I trust him enough to be able to do certain things. Like just the other day we were out there in the yard swinging the machetes and he's got like a, you know, he's got a machete that's three quarters the length of his body swinging it around in the weeds. And you know, I know there's a lot of parents out there, people that'd be like, what the hell are you doing? Giving a four-year-old a machete. Mm. And of course, just to the blind eye, That sounds like a dangerous thing, but kids are really capable when you teach them safety and they understand and listen. And of course, I didn't just hand them a sharp object and say, go for it. And maybe, you know, sometimes I think maybe I go a little too far. You know, I teach him. (laughs) He uses all types of tools that I never used as a kid, Mm. but I do see him respect it. He's got an awareness for it. And for me, it's because I've learned to see where his level of attention and awareness is And it only came from spending a lot of time with him. And I did a lot of stuff with my dad when I was a kid, but he never really gave me those opportunities to try on too many things. I had my little handyman toolbox, but the hammer was like the size of your pinky and Mm -hmm. all that (laughs) stuff. Not very useful. So I don't know. Was it like, I mean, I know your dad was a builder. Mm -hmm. So when did he put dangerous objects in your hands and start trusting you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I remember being four or five and I started measuring. Uh So I did the little steps. I, you know, a pencil and a ruler mark out. Okay, you can do that. How about you try doing the razor knife? And then Mm -hmm. the razor knife worked. And then, okay, well, let's try a drill. And then, you know, start using the machinery and sanding, you know, lots of that. So it was just a slow build. And then it was just really easy. And Mm -hmm. a lot of it was like hanging sheetrock. So, you know, putting sheetrock on the wall and my little arms are hanging up there just like, <laughs> you know, doing what they can. So, yeah, I was very much a observer too. Like mm. I always was watching what he did and I was learning by watching him. So mm-hmm. I think just a lot of it naturally came through the context of just looking up to my dad and being like, what is he doing? Like watching him do that. Mm -hmm. I think what I love about what you do with Sitka is the context that you throw around. Mm. And when you're talking about the machetes, like you're very much about like, Hey, make sure you have awareness around where I am and where you're at. And, and it kind of made it like a, we're a team on this kind of thing. So that was a big part in his mind. It wasn't just the machete. It was like, I'm doing this with dad. I'm doing this where I'm cutting this field. And I got to be careful, you know? Right. So, and he is careful, man. I watch him climb all over things and mm-hmm. like, he always has three points of contact. That's what he does. And yeah. I was always scared at first to watch and I was like, should I be nervous? But <laughs> and I'm like, no, he, yeah. he knows what he's doing. I don't think that's the same way for all kids. And I certainly can't take credit. He is just very aware and able to assess risk but going back to it I think it's because I got out of his way Mm. and trusted him and totally it's like a slow backpedal away from your kid you know you take one step back at a time and every time you take a step back you're like okay I trust him he's doing all right okay let me take another step back Mm. and 
trusting him in layers. And I also see how it helps him thrive too. You know, his confidence goes up when he's out there swinging a machete and also doing something valuable, doing something that's of service. You know, I think about you as a boy helping your dad hang sheetrock. I can imagine what that felt like to help your dad do something. Because I remember what it was like when I was in that position, helping my dad mow the lawn, even though I wasn't in retrospect, I wasn't really doing much, <laughs> but I was there, you know, I was there and felt like I was contributing. It's important. It's important for kids to feel that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, man, zooming ahead a little bit. One of the big pieces of your story that I wanted to capture is, I don't know if it's a unique, but a less conventional journey through your twenties, through some of the formative years of becoming a man and finding out who you are. So for context purposes, we met about two and a half years ago. So tell everybody who you were three years ago and what your life looked like. Yeah, three years ago, I was in this space where I just left my hometown. I lived in Colorado for a year and a half and I really felt just like everything was so foreign and new and kind of like missing that old part of me, that home aspect and not having, you know, those random bump ins everywhere you go in town and knowing everybody, it was like, had to start from scratch. And part of that was really exciting being next to the mountains and all this crazy stuff. But ultimately I was really afraid. And at three years ago, I was married at the time and my relationship got really rocky. And at three years ago, I decided that I was going to just do the best for me and completely ignore my relationship. And Mm. once it got better, then I could go back to it. But So all I did was focus on growing my 100 tomatoes in a greenhouse, working a coffee shop, building an Airstream, and running a lot. I just kept myself busy, busy, busy. Hmm. I was a very caring person, but I had a really short temper. Hmm. And so I think I was just really like frustrated and I didn't know what was going on. I just Hmm. knew, I thought I was doing the best I could and nothing was working out for me. So... So what was the function of keeping yourself busy? You said I was just keeping myself busy. What was that all about? Well, I mean, if I wasn't playing video games and getting high, I was constantly busy. And if I always was using something to distract myself so that I could just not address the situation at hand, which is, yeah, there were warning signs all around that a relationship was falling apart. There's warning signs that I wasn't doing the best. I was living with my brother in Rhode Island at the time. We just moved there and I really wasn't tending to the family and what they needed too, and Mm. being in their space. And I was just so focused on, I need to do everything I can to get a house here. Mm. And then once we get the house and we're separated from the family, we have our own space. We can start doing whatever we want to do there, like a little home base, then everything would be fine but that's not true. (laughs) It probably would have been just more problems. Mm -hmm. So it can be an illusion. It can be an illusion, right? So at this point of your life, you hadn't heard about men's work or anything like that, right? Not necessarily men's work. I heard about personal development or self help stuff like that, but no, nothing really. I listened to the rich roll podcast. That's where I found Preston smiles, but Yeah, between those two things, like not really much. Mm -hmm. So we met when you jumped into Man Cave Mm -hmm. and you and and Julian, who's also been on the show here, 
member of the power team. What up, Julian? <laughs> you guys were on my team in Man Cave. Mm-hmm. And so that was only two and a half years ago, man. So what did you think you were getting into when you stepped into that space? What were you stepping in there to get? I found a, a YouTube video. I was just scrolling YouTube videos of Preston, like I just mentioned him. I was just bawling my eyes out. Just <laughs> got out of the relationship. I just drove to Colorado. We split up and I found this video and I was like, what? Man cave. Who are all these guys just like standing and talking in front of their iPhones about this program? And so I looked at the website and I looked at it and it was talking about integrity and courage and just facing your fears and just looking at your truth and owning your shit. And something in that time just really was awoken me. I think having like the curtain drop more or less just allowed me to really see all the parts of myself. Not that I could fully understand them, but I saw them. And through those words on the website, I was just like, I got to do this. Mm -hmm. I have to just, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to jump on this and ride that wave as best I can. Mm -hmm. So that journey started. Man Cave was a three months journey. So Mm -hmm. by the end of that, what was your perspective on what it meant to be a man after going through Man Cave? I think... It was really about doing back-end work, like starting and going from like childhood and really looking at your life and coming forward. And then one of the things in there was like, what's the one thing that's going to move your life forward Mm -hmm. in all areas of your life? And that one was, that was huge for me. So I was like, okay, if I really put focus and make a decision on something, And then that's just going to start being the thing that drives me forward. Mm. That was huge because that's about men making solutions. So were you not that type of guy previously? Was that something new to you? I think I had always ride the wave of excitement Mm -hmm. and then fall off. And I think it also had to do a lot with the context Mm. of moving all areas of your life forward as opposed to being just like, well, this is really uh, something that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And knowing you closely, that's still something that you contend with to a degree, right? A lot, it's like yeah. that impulse to follow the excitement and just pursue mm-hmm. that. And I think that we all have those things. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about those things for myself. Some of my longest standing tendencies in my life have been perfectionism, not settling on something until I really feel like it's perfectly straight and you know right angles you know perfect measurements everything Mm -hmm. lining up I mean you've seen me measure and cut stuff while we're building this (laughs) office I mean that I've come a long way with just letting a lot of that stuff go but it's some of those things that I've done since I was a kid are the things that I feel like I'm always contending with Mm -hmm. and they continue to repeat themselves and I don't think I ever get over some of those things that you have Mm -hmm. would you say that that same has been true for you yeah definitely I think there's more of a self-awareness around Uh it though For sure. Like, you know that about yourself. You know your moves. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I'm always catching myself in the moments rather than just diving in and being like, and then (laughs) eventually, oh, things are better. Let's keep going. Uh Uh So how do you deal with that now? That particular thing about you that goes to the excitement? I think there's a kind of air of caution a little bit. It's like, oh, you've done this before. (laughs) Okay, what about this do you like? And... How is this going to be of value to what you're trying to do in this world, your purpose and your vision for life? Hmm. And I think that's a huge part, too, is is just having more vision. I don't think I know necessarily what I'm going to do in a year's time even, (laughs) but 
I think there's a very nice blurry vision that I can follow a little better. Yeah. Let's take a brief detour into that topic because that's Mm -hmm. pretty cool. Because for me, I remember when I was... 20, between 23 and 25 years old. And I've mentioned it here on this podcast before that that was the most painful part of my life where I had no idea what my life was about or what my life was for. In fact, I used to think that it meant I was going to die because I didn't have vision. That if I can't see my life in the future, it must mean there is no future for me. Hmm. And so once I started to become privy to some of these things and I started to get a little more clarity on what I wanted to do with my life and it was kind of that blurry vision that starts to clarify... I began to look for what is the thing that I can attach onto for the rest of my life? What is the vision that I can nail down into cement Mm -hmm. and then just focus on that thing so I never have to think about this again? Mm -hmm. And that was really tempting for me. And I remember that was probably like my mid to late 20s. I was looking for the thing so that I don't have to ever look at all the other possibilities again. Mm Because... the array of possibilities and options was paralyzing for me. Mm -hmm. Now I've come to realize something different that vision does have a degree of fluidity to it. And I think of it more of as like when, you know, you have like a dream that seems kind of prophetic or it's something that's happening in a future and you're like, Oh yeah. And there's parts of that dream that you can see. And there's other parts that are unclear and and are vague. Maybe you have a vision of being at a gathering, but you can't quite make out the people's faces. Mm -hmm. To me, that's what vision is like in every moment Mm. is that I'm clear on what I'm clear on. And I'm also clear that there's so much more that will reveal itself that will unfold as I get closer to that mountaintop that I can see in my mind's eye. And hearing what you said about refining that clarity and still, I don't know yet where I'll be in a year, but it's more clear right now than it was a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what that experience is like for you. Very well said. I think vision does have that fluidity, like you're saying, and a mountaintop you can be going towards, something that just looks so nice and you're like, you're going up it, but then you realize you're halfway up and you see another mountaintop and you're like, Mm -hmm. ah, this mountaintop was to get me to that mountaintop. Mm -hmm. And you start to connect the dots in your own life in that way. There's certain things, I'd say men's work for me, a lot of it is, is just building the foundation of my values and everything that I want to bring into everything else into my own life. So Mm -hmm. it's so clear to me how much men's work has really helped because it's blurry, but I can see that I want to do the best I can for this world. Mm. And that means I have to be the best I can for myself and then for everyone else around me. Yeah, man. Even in just what you're saying, I'm having a new degree of clarity. This word men's work that we throw around, I'm starting to get tired of it Me because <laughs> yeah, right. I'm starting to get tired of it, but it's like, it's like calling myself a coach, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't really think of myself as a coach, but let's do it because everyone kind of knows what that means. Mm-hmm. But in what you were saying, help me to understand what we're talking about when we say men's work. I'm always looking for the simplest reduction of things. Mm-hmm. To me, the work that we're doing here with other men, because that's really all men's work is, is preparing ourselves for an ever-changing, unpredictable climate. Mm-hmm. We have no idea what the world's going to look like next year. If we were having this conversation a year ago, and I said, hey, by the way, this time next year, we're all going to be social distancing from each other. The entire economy is going to shut down for two months and nobody's going to be able to see each other. You're not going to be able to see your parents. You're not going to be able to see your friend. You're not even going to talk to your neighbor. You'd have been like, "Mm, 
what are you smoking? Like, well, that, that doesn't sound right. I mean, maybe I saw that in a sci-fi movie, but there's so much that's unpredictable. We can never see what's coming. The world will very likely, almost guaranteed, look different 10, 20, 30 years from now than it does now. All you have to do is go and talk to our elders. Did you ever imagine that you'd be having a phone call with somebody where you could see their face in real time halfway around the world? It blows their minds. And so I'm always thinking about what's going to blow our minds by the time we're old. So all we can really do is prepare ourselves to be with whatever blows our mind in the future. And that's all that fathers are meant to be doing with their sons is prepare them to encounter the unknown because you nor I can actually predict what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. So all we can really do when we say this men's work stuff is how well are you prepared to take on any kind of unknown that comes your way? Definitely. And that's exactly where that resilience piece comes in. Mm -hmm. And I think the next part that you can top on like a little cherry is something you and Emiliano were talking about on the podcast that really struck me, which was the tenacity. Mm. And that's like, how are you bringing that resiliency forward? Mm. And how are you facing uncertainty? And that's a huge part of men's work for me, I think. Mm. A lot of people who are just starting, they're kind of like, yeah, getting around a group of men and getting comfortable. Like, that's a huge part of this. But there's so much a deeper level to it because eventually that team of yours is going to be the place where so many things unfold. But that's to only show where this gets to happen everywhere else. Mm -hmm. Huge, man. So huge. I love that you said that like that. Because it's the thing about warrior movies and war movies that we not all people but a lot of guys really relate to is that warrior element that's Mm -hmm. so vacant in a lot of our lives because we've lived some of those sheltered and safe realities that we don't just have that i'm going to grab my shield and charge into battle Mm -hmm. mentality we're all capable of it right i mean if there's a nine-year-old boy halfway around the world who can hunt and provide food for himself and his family then all nine-year-old boys are capable of that it's just a matter of how you live your life and how you see the world. So we're capable of it and we see it in movies, but that energy of just like charging into it, Mm -hmm. learning not to hesitate, but to lean into it and let the pieces figure themselves out later. That's, Mm -hmm. you can't teach that stuff. And it's one of the most important things for us to be able to do as men is to be able to charge into that great unknown with reckless abandon. Mm -hmm. But then mixing it with all these other things we talked about, right? Like vision, context, knowing who I am and what my life's about. And if I don't, making that my mission. Absolutely. You know? I hate how we complicate this stuff. It's like simple things are hard, right? Uh It's not simple things are easy. It's simple things are simple because something in the alchemist is like the whole idea of the universe was written on a stone and it was so simple that no one could understand it. Yeah. <laughs> and it just goes back to, it's like leadership. Leadership mm-hmm. is really simple, mm-hmm. but it takes like being in it in order to actually know what you're capable of and like how you're going to be in that situation. Yeah. You can be a textbook studier and observe a lot of people doing it, but really at the end of the day, you got to just jump in and do it. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. I love that. Let's use that segue. You dialed it up perfectly, man. You alley-oop. Going to slam jam it right now. So leadership, man. Mm -hmm. If we had gone back to that first 
day that you stepped into man cave and I said, Hey man, by the way, two and a half years from now, you're going to be my right hand man no way, leading dude. a movement of men all over the world, you know, yeah. sitting in the fire chief seat, mm-hmm. being the guy that I depend on to make sure that these fire squads are running, mm-hmm. supporting other men in their leadership, making, you know, challenging men, interviewing men, helping men become better men. You know, what if I told you that, what would you have thought about <laughs> that possibility you probably wouldn't sing me much i'd probably be doing something else at this point right would have been too scary yeah Yeah. for sure so we'll pick it apart a little bit but generally speaking what did it take for you to arrive there what did you have to do honestly really searching for my place in rising man at the beginning i think Mm -hmm. i had a lot to offer but i wasn't confident enough to just jump in and do some of the things i wanted to do or I just didn't have the idea how to figure it out or the gung-ho entrepreneur style mindset. I'm still developing that now. And yeah, at that time, I think what really snapped into place for me was there's a few things that happened when I got back to Rhode Island from my world travels that really made me realize like how good of a support I am. And so when I knew that, I just kind of was wondering, you know, what can I do? And interviews really struck me. Mm. I was like, I really like interviews. I think the point of listening is a skill I have really well. So if I can leverage that in interviews, then I just have to figure out how to ask really good questions to help people reveal answers for themselves. And then, I don't know, it just kind of naturally happened after that. I was just, you know, there was a vacant spot and I just decided to step up to that one because Mm -hmm. I knew it was needed. And there was a tug on me from those circumstances. And I was just like, I think I can do this. And I did it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've told you this offline too, but you've done a fantastic job and even just, it's somewhat, you have to have the opportunity and the opportunity presents itself and you jump at it and maybe you're not, quote unquote, ready for the opportunity, but of course you are. Mm -hmm. And you jump into it and you give everything that you've got because you want to show up for whoever or whatever it is that you're supporting and you learn. Mm -hmm. You pick these things up because you're just in the game. Mm -hmm. It might be messy. There's, we've definitely had a lot of conversations and, you know, feedback of like, Hey, when this comes up like that, did you see that? Are you paying attention Mm -hmm. to this? But you know what you've been doing it for like a year and a half now of like really sitting in that seat and and you're getting it you're getting it you know and guys are looking to you as a leader now oh mark what do i do about this what do i do about that so how does it feel to be in that position now man it's a really big honor and a deep gratitude I think there was a time in my life where i just wished and wished and wished i could be this and mm-hmm. i never did anything about it And it wasn't until, like, I was thrown into the seat and then there was a small group that needed a captain and I just had to jump in. And I was like, even though I've been, you know, fire chief for a while, I was still, like, very unsure. I was like, can I lead a group of, like, five guys on my own? Like, Mm -hmm. does Jetty, like, come in all the time? Like, how am I going to do this? But once I did a couple calls, I was like, oh, I have it. Mm. I already have it. And... It was just me needing to do it. Right. And I don't know what everyone else's experiences are like exactly, but it seems like a lot of people learn when they get in a leadership spot how important it is to be there for your leader who's in that position. 
how important it is to show up and be available and not necessarily like I think a lot of people try and get caught up trying to fix the solution Mm. or situation I think that's not necessarily it in that space so what is it then if it's not fixing it right because that's that is where a lot of us get caught up it's mm-hmm. like how do i get this right oh i do then, it all the time but. <laughs> so then what is it if it's not that yeah i think it's just knowing that someone has a space to develop something for themselves mm. knowing that they have a, a place where they're safe to get messy safe to be able to try things they can't do in the the real world mm. And so if they have a place like that, then there's no need for the walls. If you can learn to slowly take down the walls or take off the mask, whatever you want to call it, it's, it starts to become easier. Mm. Yeah. It takes me back to the beginning of our conversation, talking about me and how I father Sitka and how your dad fathered you and taught you how to build that element of, Hey, it's safe for you to be messy here. I'm going to keep you, I'm going to keep us safe and everyone around us safe, Mm. but you can try this out. You know, when you do this, if you make a mistake, I'll let you know, but I'll do it in a way that makes you want to try again. Mm. And that's, you know, to me, that's, that's like the ideal version of a dad that I want to be. And I don't get it right all the time. I get Mm. frustrated with saying, I'm like, God, come on, let's go. You only have time for this. (laughs) But, you know, just to be that dad that makes it safe for him to take another shot. It's exactly what we do in the men's space, right? Mm. As we say, hey, you fucked up. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. Still love you. No, I don't care. think any differently of you. In fact, I fucked up last week. You guys still cared about me. So, mm. but the point is, is that what are you going to do now? Mm. What did you learn from that? You know, what happened? What did you learn? What are you going to do next time? And mm. let's keep moving. To me, that's the epitome and the simplicity of, of fathering, literally fathering a son, but also fathering each other, which is one of the greatest contexts I've got from my men's team is that that's what we do here. Mm-hmm. We father each other. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how experienced you are or if you've mm-hmm. been around the block a few more times than I have. We all have the ability to father each other because every one of us has blind spots. Mm-hmm. And that's what fathers do is help sons see blind spots. A big part of it is creating the structure. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it's you know forming agreements and forming concepts that we can all come together and know that it's a safe space too. Mm-hmm. So... And then the safety is allowed to be shared and, you know, everyone has their own way of doing it. And I love what you said about fathering others. I also think that we father ourselves. Mm. And when there's all these self-doubt thoughts, that's a huge thing I always face is Mm. this confidence piece and the doubt that's always streaming through my mind and learning that that's just another safety mechanism or voice to keep me where I'm at and we're playing small. So learning to know that and be able to be like, it's okay that you doubt yourself. It's okay that you're afraid, but what are you going to do? What makes you not want to be here anymore? What's that vision that you're actually going towards? Mm-hmm. So heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. Well, Let's talk about this other unique part of your story that I'm sure some guys can relate to at least. I think about your story. I think about my brother who had my niece when he was 18. I think about a couple of my friends who got engaged while we were still in college and got married right after college and started a family. This wave of guys who started life maybe before they were really ready for it. 
you know, maybe before you really knew what it was to get married and to be a provider and all these things. And we talk about the stages of development here on the podcast, Alison Armstrong's work and, Mm -hmm. you know, going from being a page to becoming a knight. And that's the time of life where you're out for adventure and fun. No sense of commitment. Your only cause in the world is to have fun and adventure, rescue fair maidens, go slay the dragons, build up all the war stories that you'll tell for the rest of your life before you settle into princehood, which is building the kingdom that lasts for 15, sometimes 20 years. Mm-hmm. So, Using that framework of the stages of development, tell me a little bit more about your story and also what you've discovered as you're kind of returning the wheel again. So I got engaged at 21 yeah, (laughs) and then married at 22. So I was still very much in a very nightly kind of get all the amazing war stories. And I was rocking school. I was partying a lot. I was adventuring, traveling as far as I could at the time. And yeah, just hanging out with the friends. And as soon as I got married, I felt like this urgency to have fun and stuff was kind of falling apart. It was kind of not as important as it was. It was time to be like, okay, I'm married now. So this stage of life is all about, you know, it didn't matter what age I was or anything I just felt like okay marriage now it's time to be this Mm. and so I decided it's time to be a provider it's time to figure out how to make money and how to start building a nest or you know those kinds of things and I think that is ultimately what a huge part of like my frustration was because being a knight who hasn't fully lived out his knighthood is bound to repeat it. Mm. He's bound to need to go back and fully live it. And when you try and just jump straight into Prince because of some ideal in your head, you're probably not building the right foundation. Your castle's probably going to be a little crooked. You know? <laughs> you're like missing a key ingredient or step. And so I did repeat it. It was kind of like, when the curtain fell is just like, whoa, I thought my life was like this, but I'm really seeing it now. It's like, I have to do these things. I've always wanted to go travel. Why haven't I traveled to a, a whole nother country? You know, not counting Canada. It's a whole nother country. <laughs> but yeah. And why haven't I like just been a musician or, you know, why didn't I pursue this? And so there was a big part of that with me that, I didn't really know who I was yet because I hadn't gone on those journeys to really test my grit or anything Mm. like that. So when I came to this conclusion, I was like, I have to figure out who I am. That's how a prince starts to build his kingdom. Mm -hmm. So what was the first step once the curtain fell? What was the first step back into knighthood? It's like in, what is it, like Monopoly or one of those board games where you can go back to go or something? <laughs> hit, hit restart. Hit restart. Yeah. Do not collect $200. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it was just being really honest with where I was. Hmm. Getting super, super honest and getting as clear as I could. I decided what was important for me was to go to bed early, wake up early, meditate for at least 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. read books. I was really into YouTube, so I was studying YouTubers. 
and I worked 40 hours a week at a job. I volunteered at a bird sanctuary. So I was in service and I didn't smoke or drink at -hmm. the time. I drank a few times, but mostly I was just keeping my mind clear and keeping my mind focused towards who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Now, how long did you keep up that regimen for? Because that's, I can relate to that. That's pretty solid, but mm-hmm. that's that's tough to keep up. How long do you go? Well, I don't know if you remember, but I messed up once in Man Cave, which means <laughs> I had to sell my guitar. Uh, I do and, remember that. Uh, that was rough. But other than that, I didn't sleep. I started sleeping in a little more. But other than that... So right after Man Cave, I started traveling around the world with my buddy Alex. I started vlogging for him, which was an awesome opportunity I got. And it was incredible. And that was kind of like a continuation of Man Cave for me because Mm -hmm. we were both in the same program. That's how we met. And so I was really dialed in with that. And then I got back probably sometime by the end of the year. So I'd say eight or nine months I did that. Mm. And then I, I really enjoy sleeping. In late, so. <laughs> yeah, man, that's solid. I remember when I first moved out to California and I had just finished the Pasana meditation course, I realized that one of the pieces, exactly what you said, actually, was in, in order to get to know myself and ask myself who I was and what I was up to, I needed something that was solid. And what I would do is I would wake up. First thing I would do is meditate for 45 minutes and then I would exercise for another 30 minutes or so and then I would what was it it was wake up meditate exercise make my bed that was like that was like those are the three things that I did was wake up meditate exercise make my bed and then I would have breakfast and at that point I felt like well I already won the day I already took pretty good care of myself which I hadn't been doing for a while before that mm-hmm. and and it, it opened up the doors for all these other things for me to see all these other pieces because before that I felt like I was losing every day because I wasn't taking care of those basic things every day was different there wasn't any real consistency or the things that were consistent like smoking a bunch of weed was not very productive for me. So I can relate to what you're saying is like that, that discipline of just honing in on, okay, these are the things that I'm going to do. Everything else outside of that will be bonus, but these are the things I'm going to do for the next four months or the next year or whatever it is. And just committing to it, owning it, really dialing it in is so valuable. So valuable. It's one of the things that I recommend to a lot of guys who are just like, uh, Mm. kind of in a rut, don't know what to do. I'm not sure how to crack myself out. It's like, wake up, make your bed, take some deep breaths and stretch mm-hmm. every day. I don't care every day that ends in why do it. <laughs> so was there anything else that you learned from that, that discipline consistency? I think that it doesn't have to be the same every morning too. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, you know, maybe a little more meditation helps. Maybe, you know, you fell down a giant, flight of stairs and now your back hurts really bad Mm -hmm. something i did recently (laughs) um now you you just really need to take care of your body and just really give that some some care some self-love you know Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of like the counterpart to what we said before about preparing for the unknown Mm -hmm. you know it's that is what you can have and make predictable is I can, I knew that every morning, no matter what, as long as there was still a sunrise and, and an earth to live on, I was going to meditate, exercise and make my bed. 
And I've had to migrate away from that. You know, it's one of my favorite questions to answer is people say, well, what's your morning ritual? (laughs) I'm like, you're obviously not a parent, (laughs) but let me answer this honestly for you. My morning ritual is different every fucking day, you know, and it's like juggling kids and managing all, but I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not cultivated a sense of what do I need to take care of for myself first. And now how can I be in this unknown of the mess of raising young children? That is, you know, you never know what kind of mood they're going to be in. They don't want the same breakfast every day. They're one day they're happy. Another day they're throwing it against the wall. And <laughs> it's like, that's my meditation now <laughs> is how to not blow my gasket when the unpredictable happens with my kids. So, so you're still taking deep breaths. I'm still taking deep breaths, man. I'm just not doing it with my eyes closed yeah. and my hands in a fancy mudra. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> not that I ever did that, but... <laughs> Don't lie. <laughs> All right, a couple times. <laughs> yeah, I, I love what you said there. I think a big part of doing something like meditation over and over again is to realize that there's these moments that you can always bring that into, whether it's a couple minutes or even just a couple seconds. The drummer from The Roots uh, has a book. Quest Love. Uh, dude, Quest Love. He has a really incredible book, and what he talks about are these micro-meditation moments where a bunch of chaos is going on, you know, like, this band's not showing up, what do we do? And he just takes a minute to just, like, close his eyes, sink in, and hit that point mm-hmm. in his mind where meditation can take you. And that allows him to figure out instantly what he needs to do in that moment and mm-hmm. pull something off. And, you know, I think the more deep you get into maybe kinghood or just more responsibility that where other people are relying on you, you're probably going to have less and less time to have those moments to figure things out. So mm-hmm. it's all about that moment of just knowing how to find it quick. Yeah. Yeah. That's when you know you arrive when when shit's going down and everybody else is freaking out and all the eyes in the room go to you. Like, what do we do? Yeah. What do we do now? And you, and you need that, you need that moment to just like compose yourself, recognize that there's always an answer. Mm -hmm. Even if the answer is, I don't know, what do you guys think? (laughs) What would you do in this moment? It's a good one. You know, like there's such an array of moves, but that to me is the ultimate reflection of leadership is when people look to you and say, well, what do you think we should do? Mm -hmm. I have no idea. What do we do? What do we do? (laughs) But yeah, I like that, man. Those mini meditation moments, because that's, those are the things you really need to engage with life fully, to not be one of those people that just camps out on your couch, plays it safe, does the nine to five, gets the mortgage on the house, pays your bills. Work 35 years and then retire if you've been able to make it that far, hopefully with your health intact. You know, if you don't want that conventional cookie cutter robot lifestyle, then it requires and demands that you have the ability to engage with the world. Mm -hmm. In order to do that, you got to be able to handle adversity, unknown, figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's one of my favorite things to do with my son is this happened. He comes to me with a problem. Well, that happened. So what do you want to do about it? What can you do about it? Mm -hmm. What are your options? Nobody asked me that question until I was like 25 years old yeah. and I sat on a men's team. They're like, and I'm like, guys, I don't know what to do. I'm in debt. And they're like, okay, mm-hmm. what do you want to do about it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, wait a second. I'm coming to you yeah. so you can tell me yeah. what to do. <laughs> I signed up for this program. Aren't you going to solve my problems for me? Right. Like, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> and, and so why don't we do that? I know that, I mean, I could speak to it, but from you, why, why don't we just give people the answers? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think this is a two-parter. Mm-hmm. I think a big part of it is if we do it for them, then they're never going to do it for themselves. 
Mm-hmm. The second part is maybe they're going to find it in a way that is a shortcut for other men in the future. They found out how to do it better than you did. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're going to teach you something along the way. Mm-hmm. And if you're always just saying your thing and giving people advice, then you're, I guess, not really allowing the receptivity of what they can teach you. Like mm-hmm. teachers are always learning from their students. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah, man. I love that. Yeah, you nailed it on the head. I I would even add one more layer to that. The the reason I don't tell people what to do is I don't want you to come back and blame me if this shit doesn't work out. Yes. (laughs) If I tell you exactly what you need to do right now Mm -hmm. because of my perspective, this is what you need to do, Mm -hmm. then you go do that thing. I'm on the hook for it. I don't want that responsibility. I got to do that enough for myself in my life. Yeah, exactly. So... I'll say this right now. Any of you guys who are looking to figure out your shit in your life and you're like, oh, I think Jetty and Mark might have something for me. Maybe they have the answers. We're only going to have more questions. Yeah. <laughs> good questions, but really good, good questions. questions. <laughs> it will help you out a lot, but you have the solutions inside of you. That's the most important thing. There's Rising Man Fire Circles and Infernos and... Uh... There you go. <laughs> Awesome, man. Well, as we start to wrap it up here, because time flies, is there anything else that has been left unsaid that you want to make sure you communicate to this Rising Man community Mm -hmm. who's gotten to know you over the years, Mm -hmm. but hasn't really gotten to know you till today? Yeah, man. I think it's literally just be patient. Like, this stuff's going to come. It may not feel like it. There may be a lot of doubt along the way. There may be all kinds of obstacles, and you may feel like you're not getting anywhere. But ultimately, just keep putting in the reps and you're going to get somewhere better than where you were before. And maybe it's not that mountaintop that you're envisioning, but don't you want to like try every day of your life to get somewhere rather than saying, I wish I tried? Mm. Heck yeah. Right on, man. I love that. I'm glad I asked that question. (laughs) Dropping bombs here. (laughs) All right, man. Well, let me hit you with the lightning questions anyway. Sean, cue the lightning bolt sound. (laughs) Right now, do it. (laughs) We'll see if he does it. All right, man, you ready? ready? First one. What is one thing you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? Oh, man. Chill. Just chill. Like, (laughs) I was so angry. And, oh, man, I wish someone would have just told me, just chill out, man. Like, it's going to be okay. Just chill. Yeah, I love that one. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Mm, most important value? I'd say integrity. It's definitely one of those core values I always lean back in on because I always want someone to know who I can show up as. And I'm refining that constantly. I'm trying to say a lot less of what I will do and just keep doing what I should be doing. And mm. that's, I think that's in line with integrity. Heck yeah, man. And tell everybody out there where to find you. Tell them about your YouTube channel. Tell them about all this SEO, amazing SEO work that you've been doing for Rising Man and guys like Adam Roa. Let them know what you're up to, bro. Cool. Yeah. So you can find me on YouTube, Marcuccio Rose, M-A-R-C-U-C-I-O-R-O-S-E. Pretty simple. You can find me there on YouTube. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook. And uh, yeah, I've been diving deep into this SEO optimization branding stuff, and it's really exciting. And it's really cool to put a spotlight on people who are making real impact in the world. So if that's you, whether it's a podcast or a video, hit me up because I want to collaborate with you. (laughs) 
Mark is being very humble about it. He He's a magician when it comes to this YouTube stuff. He's really put in the hours and the reps to figure this stuff out and some real measurable, quantifiable results for not just what we're doing in Rising Man, but for plenty of other major influencers out there. So, mm-hmm. dude, definitely go follow this dude. And, and if you guys are doing something that he can help you with, then don't wait. Go get the help because it makes a big difference. Before we sign off, man, I want to make sure that everybody knows just how incredible of a human being you are. Obviously, you're doing great work within Rising, man. We've already spoken to that. But just being around you for the past couple of months, man, you really are just one of those genuine, living, breathing, walking dudes that is about helping out. (laughs) And if there was a whole world of Mark Roses out there we'd be a really tall population of human beings. And aside, <laughs> <laughs> and aside from that, everybody would be getting taken care of, man. Just the way that you've come in here and helped out me, helped out my family, helped out this community here on this land that people you've only known for a couple of months now. It's tremendous, man. It's told me a lot about who you are and I really respect that. So, Wow. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. And it means a lot coming from someone who I gladly call a mentor. And thank you. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, glad to have you on here today, man. And uh, can't wait to see where you're at three more years from now. We'll see. It's going to be exciting. Running the world. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fam. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was an honor to finally have my man Mark on this show to share his story, to share his message and to just have a really great conversation about all the things that he and I are discovering on this journey. You know, one of the big reflections I have coming out of this episode is that there's always more to discover and every single one of us has something valuable to lend to that conversation. So if you consider yourself a man who's on the sidelines, if you consider yourself a man who doesn't have much to offer and not really sure what you have to gain, then just lean in because you're no different than Mark. You're no different than me. We're all the same. Maybe we have different perspectives, different experience, different wisdom to draw from. But when we exchange that, when we come together in dialogue and conversation is when transformation can really occur. So jump in, sign up for the fire circles, get yourself an inferno, come out with us to fast on compass, whatever it is, risingman.org has all that information for you, as well as links and resources and show notes handled by my man, Julian Subic, all that at risingman.org. Go check it out. Please subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to the podcast, as well as on YouTube. We got our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. Make sure you go check us out on Instagram as well. Give us a follow, share it up, like it up, send it to your best friend at Rising Man Movement on Instagram. We so much appreciate all the follows, all the messages. When you guys are sharing those content pieces that Rowan puts together every week and Mark puts together, it really goes a long way. We're having more and more men from all over the world subscribing and tuning into the Rising Man and taking on this banner and helping us hoist the banner higher and higher for more men to see. So thank you for doing your part. And thank you to my power team for you guys always doing your part. Sean, Rowan, Julian, Ryan, and of course, Mr. Mark Rose. I love you guys and I love everything that you guys do. I love who you are. I love who you guys are becoming. It's truly an honor to lead and grow with you guys. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.